0: Again, it's good to see everybody. Glad you guys are here with us. If you are visiting, there's some worship guides on the back table, or at least there were. They may all be gone now, but if you um, are a note taker and you want to get one of those, there's some um, kind of fill-in-the-blank uh, notes might help you as we go through our time in the Word. There was also a uh, a little sheet of paper in the Worship Guide today. It says, Questions for Self-Reflection, House of Prayer. That is a series that we just came out of. We spent seven weeks as a church talking about prayer, and uh, if you are visiting today, uh, feel free to take that with you, and it's it's really just designed for you to kind of take a self-reflection on your prayer life, on how how you pray, what you feel that you get out of that, and, and how you could grow in it, um, and feel free to reach out to me if that's something that you'd like to discuss, even if you're just visiting today. For those of you who go to Agape, you know I passed out those questions at the beginning of that series, and I asked you to fill those out. And I told you I was going to pass it out again at the end of the series, and what I would love to invite you to do is to fill it out a second time and compare the two. Your answers from seven weeks ago before we studied prayer, and your answers when we were done. And what I'd love for you to do is to... Get in touch with me, email me or text me and just let me know some, if any, of the changes that you saw of what God may reveal to you as we talked about prayer. And as I promised, uh, not as a bribe, but just as something kind of fun, all of you who participated in that, if you let me know that you did, uh, and, uh, I'm gonna take all those names and, uh, I'll do a drawing and you'll have a chance to win a gift basket of books on prayer, a prayer journal and some things like that. So, uh, let me know this week if that is something you're participating in. And for all of us today, we're starting a a new series uh, that's going to take us through the end of the year here at Agape, and it is on the parables of Jesus. What is a, a parable? Most of us are familiar with that, but a parable is, in general, a, a short story, a simple story, but it communicates some type of a truth. And parables are throughout literature in all different times of our society, but Jesus taught frequently in parables. He would weave parables in and out of his teaching. Sometimes they would be significant and long, and sometimes there would be fragments of parables. And Jesus would use these parables, these everyday simple stories that they could understand, but he would use them to try and connect them to some spiritual reality some understanding that He wanted them to have through that really simple story. Most of Jesus' parables had one primary point that He wanted us to get. And I share that with you because sometimes we overcomplicate parables. There are those who they they take these parables and they try to analyze every single little detail and word and they build doctrine and theology off every detail... And honestly, that's not what parables are intended to do. Parables typically have one meaning. The goal of a parable is to get to the meaning and then live by it and apply it to your life. And Jesus did this often. And so in Mark chapter 4, Mark opens up with the parable of the sower. And if you're a note taker, I'll give you a little context for this parable if you want to jot a couple of things down. the main context is Jesus had really large crowds that were following Him. He's traveling around, he's, he's ministering, and He has these large group groups of people that are following Him. And on this occasion, He is near the Sea of Galilee, and so He gathers up this crowd on the shoreline. And He goes out a little ways into a boat so that He can teach them and share with them, and His disciples are there. And He tells them a very simple story about gardening. And it's a story that should easily connect to a people that were living primarily in an agricultural society. They would understand this story in this illustration. But what they would not easily understand is the actual meaning of it. What did the parable, this simple, short story about gardening, what did it actually mean? Because if this crowd could really grasp this parable and what Jesus was saying through it, they would discover that He was challenging the very idea of why they were following He was pressing into them to challenge why they were giving themselves to follow Him around. See, many people in the day that Jesus lived on the earth, just like today, Many people followed after Jesus for different reasons. Many of the people in this crowd followed after Jesus out of simple curiosity. There was a fervor about Jesus. There was large crowds following Him, and so people got curious about why people were following so they would go and follow Him. It was a novelty to Him that they were interested in. Some of them followed him because he did miracles. They wanted to see miracles. They wanted to see significant and interesting things so they would follow after Jesus. And some of them followed him because of political intrigue. In that day, the Jewish people lived under a Roman government. And for the most part, they hated that. And they knew from Scripture that there was supposed to be this Messiah that would come and one day release them from Roman rule, and they wondered, is this the guy that's finally going to give us this political freedom, this life freedom that we've been looking for? But when Jesus told this parable of the sower, he was pressing into a deeper meaning, and he was asking them a question. What do you do about what I'm saying? You're following me out of curiosity. You're following me because I do miracles. You're following me because you wonder if I'm going to release you from a government that you hate. I'm asking you, what do you do with the words I'm teaching? That was the meaning of this parable. And even some of His disciples, the the men and even the, the women who were following after Him very closely, they had a hard time grasping what this parable meant. So what you find after the passages that Kevin read in Mark chapter 4 is that they go to Jesus and they ask Him about these parables and Jesus tells them that the meaning of a parable, the meaning of all of His parables are actually hidden. That you can only understand what Jesus is actually teaching in a parable if God helps you to understand Why is that? Why would Jesus teach in such a way? Why would God design a system in which you can't understand what's being taught unless He helps you understand it? And my answer to you is this. It is because true spiritual life is not and will never be about what you can do on your own. That's religion. That's man-made rules. Follow after these rules, do these things. That's religion. That's not Jesus. That's not spiritual life. Spiritual life is about what Jesus has done for us. Spiritual life is that to understand God, we need God's help. And He is willing to help. He is eager to. So the disciples go to Jesus and they say, can you explain this to us? And Jesus does. He tells them exactly what this parable of the sower means. And Mark records that for us in verses 14 through 20 of Mark chapter 4. And we're going to go through that today, but I want you to get at the very beginning of this. That the historical person of Jesus that really lived on the earth for about 33 or so years and had a ministry and taught people and revealed things to Him, that Jesus is still alive. He is with His Father and He still reveals His Word to those who ask Him. To those who will say, Jesus, will you explain this to me? He still does. I want to challenge us today of whether or not we believe that. And whether or not we're bold enough to ask if Jesus will show us what His Word means. The emphasis of this parable, if you're a note taker, this is in your notes, the emphasis of this parable, the parable of the sower, is Jesus is asking the hearers to examine the condition of their heart by looking at the fruit of their life. Jesus is pressing into this crowd the same as He's pressing into us today, and He is asking us to examine the condition of our heart, and we do that by examining the fruit of our life, what our life is producing, Chapter 4, verse 14 of Mark. And I'll reiterate what Nick said earlier. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to gift you with a study Bible today. Just let me know that. Or Nick, before you leave today, we'd love to give you one as a gift from our church, whether you go here or or not. But in verse 14, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says this. Okay, the seed in my story represents the Word of God. The seed being cast is the Word of God. The sower is the person who is sharing the Word. And the four different types of ground represents the four different types of ways people will interact with the Word as they hear it. So yes, Word is being sowed right now. That's what I'm doing. And our minds, our hearts, we take that Word in in different ways. And this parable explains those different ways. But this is not the only way that the Word is sown. And as you approach this parable, if you're a believer, there is a time for you to consider yourself the sower. The Word of God is to be shared. It is to be spread. Without discrimination, liberally, wherever you go. Everywhere, every place, every person who calls themselves a believer, we're supposed to be sharing, spreading God's Word. And the goal of doing that is that we want to see people's lives impacted by that Word, and we want to see them change. That's the goal. But before we get to that place where you consider yourself the sower, we need to stop and we need to look inward. Because Jesus is first asking you, which soil are you... which ground represents your heart? And before you consider yourself the sower and a person who's sharing the Word, you need to consider where you stand with God. And and let me say this. The way we do that is we consider what impact does the Word of God have on my life every day? It doesn't matter what we call ourselves. We call ourselves Christians, we're Bible believers, we go to church, we're religious. What impact, what difference does the Word of God make in your life day to day? That's what Jesus is pressing us on. The reality is most professing Christians assume they're good soil. That's me. I'm good ground. And it's not that Jesus is saying, no, you're not, but he is saying, test that. Consider that notion. If you, if you think you're good ground, really ponder that idea. And start by asking yourself, what difference does God's Word make day to day in my life? If the Word of God wasn't there, would my life look different? So let's do this together. Let's look step by step at this parable. One heart, one ground at a time as God's Word is going out, as we receive that Word and let's ask Him to reveal to us the condition of our heart. Let's start here, the heart of man. Some people are the path. Some people are the path. So in verse 4, what Kevin read, in Jesus' illustration, he says in verse 3, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. Verse 4, as he sowed, so as he's throwing this seed out, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. And then Jesus explains what that means in verse 15 to his disciples. Some people are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that has been sown in them. So Jesus says right away, one of the interactions with his word is that the person who is hearing never actually understands it. They never actually listen. And the reason is because before they can ever really grasp it, the enemy of God comes and tries to steal the Word away before it can grow in them at all. Everywhere that the Word of God is being sowed, the enemy is there to try and take it away before it is understood. It is happening right now. It is happening for some people in this room. The Word of God is being shared and the enemy is working to try and take that Word away. And listen, it is always going to see very normative. The enemy of God doesn't show up as the caricature that we have in our mind. He's not wearing a red cape. He doesn't have a pitchfork. He doesn't introduce himself and say, here's what I'm about to do. You're sitting in a church. You're trying to listen. You're pondering whether or not What's being said is true. And then all of a sudden, your hand goes to your phone. Something grabs your attention. You look down. And all of a sudden, you're no longer listening. You're completely distracted by something Those of you who are on your Bible apps, I didn't mean to make you put your phone down. And to us, it's completely a normal thing. I get distracted by my phone all the time. Jesus is saying in a supernatural way, that's not what's happening. Outside of church, someone shares the Word of God with you. A friend, they send you a text, a verse, they share something with you. You're thinking about it, you're pondering it, you're driving somewhere, maybe going to work, maybe going to run an errand, and all of a sudden some jerk on the interstate cuts you off. And you're filled with rage and you're angry and everything that was in your mind about God's Word is completely gone and you're focused on something else. For you, it's completely normative. Listen, I understand that the idea of this supernatural realm that we can't see is really mysterious. But Jesus says that's how we live. There is a real God and there is a real enemy of God. And the enemy, John 10.10 says, is a thief who comes to steal. And he tries to steal the Word before you can ever hear it, before you can ever understand it. And And as he's stealing that Word, his hope is to make you believe He doesn't actually exist. He doesn't care if you know He exists. He doesn't care if you know that he is real. He doesn't care if you know that distraction is coming from him. As long as he can distract you from receiving God's word. He's a thief. He doesn't want you to know he's there. So what do we do? What do we do about that? What do we do about the reality that when God's word is being sown, the enemy tries to snatch it? Let me give us a bit of a challenge. If you were in this room this morning and you would say, in your heart of hearts, it doesn't matter what people around you think. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. In your heart of hearts, you alone, you know, I really don't believe this. Not, I'm not a believer. Or if you were to say, I was a believer at one time, but I I don't really know what I think. I want to lay a a challenge before you. I want to ask you this: if Everything that we're talking about right now was 100% true. You knew it was you were certain that everything we're talking about in this Bible, everything we're talking about in this parable, Jesus is real, he is alive. Everything here is 100% certain. Would you want to give your life? Would you want to say, "Okay, if that's real, yes, I'm in. I will submit to it and I will give my life." Because here's the reality. Most people don't want it. We come up with a thousand reasons that we don't believe. We come up with all kinds of reasons that we don't believe the gospel, that we don't go to church. And look, some of them are valid. Some of us had really horrible experiences in church. We come up with dozens and dozens of reasons. But at the end of the day, the reality is for most people, they want to be their own god. I want to be my own God. I want to make my own decision. And it takes God's Word to change that. If you were certain this is true, would you want to give your life to it? And if you would say, yeah, I would, then my challenge to you is this, would you be bold enough to ask God, to say, God, if you're real, if this is real, would you give me ears to hear? God, if this is real, would you in this moment keep the word from being taken away from me before I can believe? It? God, would you help me if this stirring is really real? Because He's greater than the enemy, He's greater than the one that would come to steal and destroy. Soil number two. Some are rocky ground. So some are the path and some are rocky ground. Verse 5 and 6 in the text that Kevin read, Jesus says, as the sower goes out, some of the seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. And when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. When He meets with His disciples, He explains the rocky ground in verse 16 and 17. He says, other people are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the Word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root, and they are short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes because of that Word, they immediately fall away. All right, I can't hear this parable. I can't hear the rocky ground without thinking about being a 15-year-old teenager and my dad having a Ford Fairmont. Now, if you are not blessed to know what a Ford Fairmont is, let me just say, it is like it sounds. Whatever comes to your mind when you hear Ford Fairmont, you're probably on the right track. And so my dad had this Ford Fairmont, and he, he would do yard work. And one summer, he had this big, huge bag of grass seed in the back seat of this Fairmont, and and he spilled it in the floorboard. And when he got home, he tried to get as much of that seed up as he could. I'm not lying to you. Two weeks later, there was grass growing in the floorboard of that Ford Fairmont. There were blades of grass that had attached themselves to the carpet fibers of the floorboard, and they were growing. And it owned my dad. From then on, whenever he sent me outside to do yard work, he would say, be sure to weed eat the pheromone. He loved that that had happened. That's what I think of. Because Jesus says, the rocky ground, it's like a plant that comes up real quick. It is people that receive God's Word with joy. Church, these are people who make professions of faith. These are people who walk down an aisle and go to an altar. They receive what they just heard and they say, yes! I love this. I'm in. I want to serve. I want to go to church. I am excited about this. Jesus doesn't say how long that goes on. But he tells us this is what will happen. There will come a point in that person's life where they will realize that word, the word of God, is going to cost them something. There is going to be some difficulty that happens in their life. There's going to be some persecution that is going to come because they're a professing Christian. It's going to cost them their reputation in society. It's going to cost them giving of finances. It's going to cost them time. It's going to cost them energy. It's going to cost them something. And like sun scorching grass in the back of a fairmont that doesn't have any root in it, that difficulty is going to make that word that they've been embracing, they're going to turn away from it and push it away. Of the four soils, this is the one that's scariest for me. Because of where we live, in the South, where religious tradition is a part of so many of our upbringing. Where we've had times and moments where externally things happened and we prayed prayers and we went to events. And some people have put a lot of faith in those encounters they had with religion. Here's an interesting thing. What does a plant need to grow? Sun, water, the sun. For a believer, the sun of sacrificing and suffering because of the Word of God makes you grow. Paul said that in Philippians 3. Paul Paul gave up everything to be a Christian. He had wealth. He had notoriety. He was well thought of. He gave it all up Because he had saw the risen Christ, he gave up everything he had. He was murdered, suffering because of his belief in Christ. And Paul said in Philippians 3, I look at everything that my faith in Christ has cost me, and I say, gain. At the end of the day, gain. It's good. Everything that I've lost, what I have gained is so much more. For a believer, suffering's hard, sacrifice is hard, but it ultimately makes them grow. For a non-believer who thinks they're a believer, sacrifice and suffering on account of God's Word wrecks their faith. It may be a one-time falling away. They've received the Word with joy, they've heard it, they've maintained faith for a while, it costs them something, they go away. But you know what? I think it's often a cycle. They come to Christ, they receive the Word with joy, Things are going well, and then something happens. A trial, suffering, and they say, I don't know about religion. Why did God let this happen? And they go away from Him. And sometimes when life gets better again, they come back until another trial, and they go away. And their life is like this with God. reality is there's no root in them. Their profession of faith was not genuine. We don't know why they came to Christ, but it wasn't to submit to Him as Lord. Like these crowds in Mark 4. Listen. You can have an attachment to Jesus that's not a saving attachment. You can be curious about Jesus. You can think he's a good guy. You can like his teaching. You can have a, you can think in your mind he was a great religious leader. You can want his miracles. You can hope he makes your life better. You can have an attachment to him that is not a saving attachment where you say, Jesus is Lord. And I submit to him and I submit to his word because he loves me and he is God. If you're rocky ground, the key indicator seems to be when trials come, they don't strengthen your faith. They cause you to stumble. Some are those on the path. Some are those on rocky ground. The third type, some are among thorns. Some are among the thorns. So Jesus said in verse 7, other seed, third type, other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it, the seed, and it didn't produce fruit. And so Jesus, when He goes to explain this in verse 18 and 19, He says, Others are like the seed sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the Word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. The issue here is, is not the enemy taking the seed away. The issue is not lack of roots. The issue is what you surround yourself. Jesus said for some people, they're gonna, they'll hear the Word of God and maybe the Word of God starts working and it starts bearing some fruit and they're excited about it. But then the thorns of life take hold. What are the thorns? He identifies them. First of all, the worries of this age. Literally in the Greek, your anxious interest. It's what you worry of. It's what you're so concerned about and what you're so worried about and what you're so anxious about that you're not focusing on Christ and His Word because you're anxious about all of these things and you're trying to fix them or you're wringing your hands and worried what's going to happen and it's literally choking God's Word out of your life. Or, he said, it's the deception of wealth. It's the deception that wealth will cure your ills. If I just get a little bit more money, if I just get that house, if I just get that thing, if we can just get out of this debt, then everything will be okay. It's the deception that wealth is going to make it all better. It's also the deception that one day you will be content with what you have. It's the deception that if I get that, I'll be good. So I'm going to work really hard in this season. I I know I can't go to church. I really can't join with community. I really can't follow after Christ right now. But as soon as this season is over, I'm all in on those things. Jesus says, you are deceived because that time will never come. Or it's this big bucket where Jesus says it's desires for other things. It's like he says, and everything else. Desires for other things, literally your earnest desires. It's the things you love to do. It's it's our hobbies, it's our interests, it's the things that if if I have a free day, if I have four hours, if I have a free afternoon, here's probably what you're going to find me doing. Some of us are like, it'll be a nap. But whatever, it is. this is what I will give myself to And so those among the thorns, they've made this perhaps genuine profession of faith, but their life is full. Their mind is somewhere else. They are living in such a way that pursuing Christ is one of the things they do. And it falls on the scale of priority wherever that season of life allows it. And the warning Jesus is giving to us is that if we are not watchful, Those anxious interests, those worries, those desires for wealth, the love of our hobbies will overcome the Word of God from working in us. Listen, this is not denying the fact that you should be concerned about some things. It's not denying the fact that you need provision for your family. It's not even denying the fact that there are things that God has given in this life for you to enjoy. It is pressing in and asking you, are you keeping the first thing first? Is God your true God? Because God says, if you're anxious about something, give it to me. God says, pray that you won't have too little so that you are anxious and worried and pray that you won't have too much so that you forget about me. Pray you'll have enough. God says, I've given you everything to richly enjoy. Enjoy keeping me first. In John 15, Jesus says that God desires every one of us to produce fruit. It doesn't matter how old you are, young you are, if you're in Christ, God desires you to produce fruit. There's no getting away from this. There's no retirement from it. Your whole life, You are to produce fruit. That's what God wants. And thorns choke out fruit. And so Jesus says in John 15, there's a time where God comes along and He prunes His people. He cuts things away from them so they might bear more fruit. And pruning isn't always just about cutting away something dead. Sometimes when you prune, you cut away things that are alive and growing. But you do so so that when it comes back, there's more abundance there. The question for us is, when God prunes us, when He chops away at those thorns, do we submit to that? Or do we resist Him? And that leads us to the final ground, the last soil. Some are good soil. Verse 8. He said, still other seed fell on good ground and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. And when Jesus went to explain this in verse 20, He said, there are people, they are like the seed sown on ground, good ground, they hear the Word, they welcome it, and it produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. This is where we want to be. This is where we want to be. And I want you to see in verse 20 the the progress there. What happens? What what do these people look like? First of all, they hear the word. They put themselves in a position to hear the word and they listen. And maybe they're hearing the word for the very first time. Maybe they're hearing the word, they're, they're hearing the word for the hundredth time, but all of a sudden in that moment something clicks. Something stirs that hasn't stirred before. And before the enemy takes it away, Jesus says they welcome the Word. What does it mean to welcome something? You say, come in. When you welcome something, you embrace it. You accept it. This is a person who believes. They believe the Word. They believe what they're hearing. They don't even know, maybe they don't even know why they're believing. They never have before, but in that moment they believe. They're not following Jesus for the novelty. They want what He's saying. They're not just trying to get His miracles. They're not just trying to get a better life. They want to know what Jesus says and they want to embrace it. They will call what He says good, even if everyone else around them ridicules them. And then fruit begins to grow. There's a healthy fear of the Lord. There's a thankfulness to God. There's repentance of sin. There's a love for people they didn't have before. They want to do good deeds, but not so they can be seen by people, but so they can make much of Christ. They let God prune them. Push back the thorns so that their fruit can grow 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. Listen, that's the progression when God is working in your life. It's not always everything at once. Throughout your whole life, He works to produce more love, more repentance, more thankfulness, more good deeds. It grows and grows and grows and grows. That's the picture. And that's the Christian life, and that's what every believer wants. And here, here's what I want you to grasp. We're at the end, but here's what I want you to grasp. It is not you that produces the fruit. It is the seed that got planted in you. I want you to grasp that because it is not your efforts that produce fruit. It is not what you do. It is your submission to God's Word. And His Word does the work. You believe. You submit to what He says. You welcome it. You say, as an example, I don't want to forgive this person. I don't want to do that. They hurt me, they hurt my family, they oppose everything that means something to me. I do not want to forget to forgive them. But Jesus, you tell me to forgive. And I want to submit to you. So help me forgive. I'm going to do everything I can to try to forgive them because you have told me. That is the beginning of fruit that will continue to grow. No matter what anyone says, no matter what you've been told, no matter the religious tradition that you grew up in, Christianity is not about trying harder. It is not about obeying so you can be good. It is not about doing the right thing so God will love you. The Gospel is, in spite of you, in spite of me, God loved us. He favored us and then He calls us to Himself by His Word. He saves us because Christ has done all the work. He took our sin on the cross, our shame, our regrets, He took it upon Himself, and He offers to anyone who believes in Him everything that was His. His right standing before God. The moment... The moment you believe and welcome God's Word, the moment you submit to that, the Bible says in that moment, you are eternally declared not guilty of your sin before the judge of the universe, of everything that you have ever done and everything that you will do. But for a true believer, that reality is not then freedom to just go and say, okay, well, cool, I can do whatever I want now. That I'm good. Now that that word then produces thankfulness where you stay close to Jesus the rest of your life and say, I am so thankful for what you have done. I want to live with you. I want to walk with you. And yes, that's mysterious. But the basis of our belief is faith. Not what we see, but what we can't see. Paul told the Galatians, as a believer, I don't, I don't live anymore. My life is now about having faith in Jesus and letting Him live through me. And you say, how is that even possible? You will learn the rest of your life with Christ. Paul goes on to say there, God doesn't do miracles in our life by what we can figure out and what we can do, but He gives us His Spirit to work miracles when we believe what we've heard. That's the meaning. I know many of you, but even those of you that I know, I don't know what's happening in your heart any more than you know what's happening in mine. A lot of you I don't. I don't know your background. Don't know your church interaction. But I will stand here and tell you that I believe. As much as I believe in the reality of my wife and my kids, what I told you earlier, you were not here today by accident. You were not here today because you were invited by someone. That was the natural means. God intended us to hear this together. And the question before every one of us is do we believe what Jesus has said? Which soil are you? And like Kevin said earlier, it's not a stagnant place he doesn't reveal which one you are so you're condemned to that if you've always been the seed on the path today is the day to cry out and believe the word before it's taken away if you're the rocky ground you've been in church your whole life you've been religious your whole life and all of a sudden you realize but I don't know Jesus. You don't have to stay there. Let me tell you, yeah, it might be hard to admit that because people around you may think, wait a minute, what? You're coming to Christ. Haven't you You've known Christ your whole life? And you get to say, I thought I did, but now I do. If you're surrounded by thorns, God will help you. give your words to Him. Give the care and provision of your family to Him. Let Him increase your desire in Him. Put Him first. And if you are good soil and you're bearing good fruit, keep listening to the Word. Keep hearing the Word because it's, your life's not done. You've got to keep taking the Word in and it's got to keep growing in your life. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come back up i want to say very important. Listen, I know that I'm, I'm calling for that. I know the lights are coming down. I know we're at the end of the sermon. This is probably the most important part. Let me double down on what I said a moment ago. The enemy wants to take away what God is sowing. This is our time as a church where we respond. And we're not looking for you to respond in any particular way. I always tell Agape the only wrong way to respond to God is not to respond. The Bible says if today you hear His voice, answer. Because there's not a guarantee you'll hear it again. So as He stirs you, respond. There's going to be some people over here to my left. We call them prayer partners. They're just people that would be willing to pray with you if you need prayer. I'm going to come over here on the right. I'm actually going to ask Nick if he'll join me today over here. As you respond to God and to what He has said, we're not looking for anything in particular. You can respond to God right where you are. There is not a sentence that I'm going to lead you to pray. There's not something I'm going to ask you to say. Because it needs to be from your heart to God. And in all honesty, it doesn't matter that much what you say as long as you pray to Him. But there are people that will pray with you if you need prayer. And it doesn't have to be just about what we're talking about today. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you need, maybe there's relationship issues. Maybe there's worries that you have. Maybe there's provision that you need. They will pray with you about anything that you have going on. But I specifically want to ask. That if God has stirred anything in your life today. About your relationship with Him. Would you come over here and talk to, to me or to Nick. We're not going to do anything odd. We're not going to bring you over in front of everybody. We're not going to call you out. I realize you got to make the walk up. I'm just calling you to boldness. We're going to pray with you, and I'll probably get your contact info, and I'll get with you at a later time. But if God has stirred something, if He has said something to you, or if He does while we're singing the song, don't pass that opportunity up. Father, I want to pray. You, God, would do the work that is the miracle causing us to believe. That you, God, would rebuke the enemy from stealing away Word that has been sowed today. I don't pretend that it's been a well-sown Word. That it has been preached well, but I trust your Word. And I ask that you would move to rebuke the enemy that he would not be able to snatch it away. And if there is anyone here who's on the path and they don't know you, God, would you let today be the day of their salvation? Would you give them faith to believe Jesus and pursue that? And would you give them the courage to say yes? God, if there are people in this room that are rocky ground would You strip away from us any reliance that we have that is other than Christ? Anything we're trusting in, God. Any religious practice, any good deed, any experience that we have had, or God, if You need to overcome a really bad experience that we've had with religion, would You please do so today? And would You cause those who are the rocky ground to have root and soil, that the Word of God, that Your seed would grow. Would You reveal to them, God, that there might be revival today and they might return to You. God, if we are surrounded by thorns and the Word is getting choked out in us that we do believe and we love You, but it just seems like we can never get any traction because of worries and money, and even our desires, God, would You let today be the day that You call us to put You first and give us a heart that desires You above all things. And God, if we are good ground, please don't be done with us. Please give us more seed and cause it to grow that we may bear more fruit. Let no one in this room, God, think that You're done with. Let them desire more and more and more of you. God, help us to respond now. Let us not take this moment by. Increase our faith. Let us not let this moment go by without responding. Increase our faith. And God, would You please, in this little building, in this little church, in this little community, would You please work incredible miracles today.